Mike, Mike, we're back. We're back. And we have a good show, even though it's the international break. Mike is going to get into Liverpool voodoo and how the devil went down to Georgia and found Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, how somehow the culture of men's teams has somehow transposed onto their women's counterparts, which is really weird. And then we're going to get into celebrity soccer team purchases because the gang bought a team in uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia music chiming. So, uh, Mike, take it away. Tell us what you your yeah. feelings are on El Clopito. I am really excited for the show today, uh, despite, like you said, it being a an international break with fuck all going on right now. Um, it's story time, friends. Uh, I want to take you back to May 26, 2018. It was the Champions League final in Kiev. You may not remember, but Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool was facing the terrifying Real Madrid at the height of their power, seeking to win their third consecutive Champions League trophy. But there was more to it than just that for Klopp. He'd been to six consecutive major league, sorry, major European finals without a victory since 2013, losing each time during his tenures at Borussia Dortmund and now Liverpool. Now, this was his chance to slay the dragon, to defeat Goliath, to get his name and his hands on that elusive trophy. Now, although... Klopp's Liverpool put up a good fight. It was not to be their day. My friend, Gareth Bale, came off the bench to put in a man-of-the-match-level effort, scoring two goals, a mesmerizing bicycle kick in the 63rd minute to break a 1-1 deadlock. And then you may remember a man named Loris Karius. He was, uh, he was the goalkeeper for Liverpool at that point. He spilled one from distance in the 83rd and killed any uh, uh, comeback efforts for Liverpool that day. Can Final I score throw in some, three, some, one, some, some voodoo also? That Please was do. all Sergio Ramos. He tried to kill Mo Salah in one of the dirtiest moments in history, and he gave Carius a concussion. So right. he was two for two on that game. So that was another one of the Ramos magic moments, whom I loathe, but carry on. He's fantastic. He's, he's the best bad guy I think soccer might have ever had, but we can, we can get into that a different day. So soon after the game, while privately wallowing in his familiar stench of defeat on the biggest stage, Klopp felt his strange aura around him, right? The team hotel. He turned around, and it turns out it was the devil himself who had come to bask in the German sorrows. It turns out he actually has a timeshare in the Ukraine, which actually makes sense if you think about it. As he has so many times before, the Prince of Darkness decided to offer Jürgen a deal. He said he'd grant him everything he'd ever wished for as a professional coach in exchange for his soul. Klopp rushed to shake the devil's hand, and the pact was agreed upon. As the 2018-19 season got underway, things started to fall into place a little bit for the Reds. Injuries were few and far between. Good fortune started to befall them in a strange amount of instances. For example, the number of penalties Liverpool were awarded doubled, more than doubled from the season before. And even one more and better, they only conceded one single penalty against the entire season. That was the lowest in the league. Wouldn't you imagine it? Now, I witnessed one of those with my own eyes, okay? This diabolical fuckery in September of that season at Wembley. I was at the game. It's 2-1 Liverpool. It should have been about 7-1 Liverpool, by the way. They're clinging to a late lead. Hyunming Sun gets fouled in the box by Sadio Mane. Sort of ironic if you think about how that season ended. Mm. In stoppage time, no calls made. Liverpool takes all three points, and I walk away angrily to the bar. Oh, uh, they also got a goal. They also scored a goal when James Milner was so far offside, but the ball was fizzed into him so fast at Anfield that ended up beating City. So they are diabolical. So and they've got Origi that. And the, and the fucking Sturridge goal. Never saw him again. God, God, God. 
So you mentioned Origi. It's funny you say that. Two months later, hosting Everton in the Merseyside Derby, you'd have to, you'd have to actually see this to believe it. The miss hit, the Virgil van Dijk pops the ball into the air. It does a double doink. In fact, yes, England invented the double doink off the crossbar. Drops right into Divock Origi's lap on the goal line in the 95th minute to break a scoreless draw against Everton. Anfield goes mad. So like any deal with the devil, right? These things take many twists and turns, and so did Klopp's. Carrying an undefeated record into the, into the Etihad, they were John Stone's toe poke, millimeters away from stunning their rivals from the blue side of Manchester, but it wasn't to be. And Jurgen Klopp once again found himself wondering if his day in the sun would ever arrive. 97 yes. points. The greatest second-place team ever and completely obliterate the fact that my team just scored 198 points over two seasons. <laughs> Everybody still talks about this title race, right? It was one of the greatest in Premier League history. It was that fiendish destiny, however, though, that showed up again in, in the Reds' European campaign, facing a seemingly insurmountable 3-0 deficit to Barcelona, heading to the second leg of the Champions League semifinal. Liverpool received a four-goal miracle from below at Anfield, capped off by a trick play. You can't make this up. A trick play off of a fucking corner kick to topple the Spanish Giants. And all of a sudden, there they were again, Liverpool headed back to the Champions League final. Now, I don't like talking about this part. In that final, as we all know, a phantom handball in Tottenham's Musa Sissoko in the first minute of the game gave Klopp all the ammunition he needed to get his hands on the trophy. Finally, the devil made good on the end of his bargain. Would not be a handball now. Right, because no, it's too They high. changed the rule. They changed the rule because of that. Yeah, but it, they changed the rule also so that you wouldn't be in the final because they got a bullshit goal from Laurenti. So shut the fuck well, up. Yeah, it's not about us right now. <laughs> So listen, like many, many before him, Klopp sought the best old Beelzebub, right? The following not season Mar saw... Not, not Marcelo Beelzebub. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. The following season saw more of the same success in Merseyside. Having never tasted Premier League glory, the Mighty Reds set their sights on the one trophy that had eluded them for the last 30 years. Once again, enjoying what can only be described as a devilish intervention of good luck mixed with tantalizing talent. Liverpool thrashed the likes of Manchester City, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester, Man United, and Everton as they cruised to a 92-point campaign in their first ever Premier League title, even if nobody was allowed into the stadium to see it. Nice little touch by the devil there, I thought. And it was at that moment the devil came to collect his due. Well, how do I know all this? Well, it's simple. Look around. Consider this. Since the end of the 2019-20 regular season, we have seen Liverpool surrender seven goals to Aston Villa have the game-winning goal in the Merseyside Derby called off by VAR for offside by a hair, face a rash of injuries that would decimate any team, including one with their significant depth. We'll go through them real quick. Virgil van Dijk went down with a knee injury on a play that should have resulted in a red card for Everton. Sadio Mane and Mo Salah have both faced bouts with COVID-19. Both fullbacks, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, are both going to miss time. In fact, their other starting center back, Joe Gomez suffered a knee injury while away on international duty with England and will miss most of the rest of the season. So now you're right away. You're talking about the entire back line of Liverpool. Not going to be there. Allison has missed time this year. <laughs> their captain, Jordan Henderson, recently hurt his hamstring. Thiago Alcantara, their, their big money signing, has been out for over a month when he sustained a knee injury in that same Everton game. That's eight first-team players. Their day of reckoning has arrived and left yes. many fans of the other 19 Premier League teams wondering how, how the hell could it have unraveled so fast? Jurgen knows how. 
And he'll be, he knows he'll be paying that price for all that success for centuries to come. I certainly hope so. Very well done, Mike. Uh, Marcelo Bielzebub, which is his new name from now on. I love that. <laughs> will be there. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's funny to sort of think of it that way because of, um, you know, you have these narrative and it's so weird in soccer. In European football is so strange because the narratives and attributes applied to teams really last a long time. Like, it's not a joke. Real Madrid, that first when they beat uh, Liverpool, they were on fumes. They had almost lost to, to Juve. They had gotten lucky. Like, teams getting over the hump is so hard. It's so much more like um, the sports we remember where you had to beat a team and sort of, you know, you have your Michael Jordans having to get through the Pistons. It's so much more like that. And what's funny is this weekend, while the, while the boys were, were home, while the boys were on international duty, it was Women's Football League Day in England. And we were really, um, we had a great gift in that NBC, uh, Rebecca Lowe's uh, home, uh, actually broadcast a bunch of games. So they were huge games. So Chelsea versus Arsenal. These are by far the two best women's teams in the country and in fact have the best players in the world. And the Manchester Derby of 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 uh, of my team Manchester City and um and Manchester United. Uh there was some shit talk by Tobin Heath who was getting a an earful about learning about hey Manchester City are actually shit no one really cares about them in this town. Uh I took particular offense to that and I was like, "You know what? You want some women's equality? Go fuck yourself, Tobin Heath. How's that for fucking equal?" So You're going to get some, some real sports hate. <laughs> yeah, that's when you'll know women's sports in America has made it. When you can have sh shit talking, when it's not all just sunshine and rainbows and everybody played really great, when you're criticizing performances, when you're saying that, Tobin Heath, you came into my house talking shit, and we sent you packing with a 3 nothing loss, and it feels, again, we've yeah, talked about it a hundred times. It needs to be normal. Yeah, it right. needs to feel right. Like, it was supposed to be that way, Right. And I was feeling that way, and I, I didn't wake up for the game because it was a 4.30 game, but I did wake up, and at around 7 o'clock, I look up, and I'm like, yeah, City's up 2-0, you fucking dickholes. Take that period and fucking rub it on your face, you fucking bloodhounds. That's the thing. There's no <laughs> rules. There's no rules. If you're shit-talking, there's no rules, although we've learned in 2020 there are a few rules. But, but no, what happened was, of course, City – like the men's team, were playing out for the back, got caught on the ball, and Tobin Heath scored a screamer, like top bins hard into the goal. And then Christy Hansen, the longtime uh, Manchester United striker, scored for a 2-2 draw. And all it could remind me of was the Centurion team when City was up 2-0 at the Etihad and, like, cruising, like one of the best half City had played – then Paul Pogba went nuts in probably his best game in, in a Manchester United uniform, scores two goals in the second half, and we lose 3-2. And we're like, we could have won the league with 100 points against Manchester United. So the, 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 trans, the transfiction of, like, the two teams having the same problem, it's so weird to see City have the problem. And was, was it just City? No. Was it just City no, or are there other teams? No, other teams have actually pulled in their own thing. So Spurs were Spursy. Oh, good. Uh, they had a red card. And uh, they gave up a goal late to get a draw. Uh, yep, uh, that sounds uh, like us. <laughs> that's very, very much that. And then mm -hmm. um, 
Arsenal also very shit, giving up a goal late to get a draw. So the the culture and the ethos of the clubs, it does seep in. It's the laundry. It's it's so str- it's not even the same stadiums, but the 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 cultures, the feelings, the having the best announcers on it. I just love the way that it's handled. And I, I know we talked about this a long time ago, and I'm sure our one female fan who called us an idiot a long time ago is going to get mad at us again. But I still just think if the WNBA simply had the Lady Knicks, the Lady Bulls, the Lady Lakers, they played and they had fucking Mike Breen and they treated them with respect and equality, that it's the same team under the same auspices, you might have a better chance than me trying to figure out what the hell a Liberty is. No, I, I mean, we, you know, we went over this a while ago. I couldn't agree more. It's when you were explaining, um, you know, the city collapse and Tottenham doing this and, and Arsenal doing that. And then, like you said, it translates perfectly from the men. It's sort of soothing in a weird way, right? There's yeah. so much that so much that's changed in the last 11 and a half months. And yeah, God, I feel <laughs> at home that that's and, and the other the thing same. that I, the other thing that I really like that I really like about the women's soccer that the women's Premier League, whatever it's called in, in England, is it really is getting the same treatment. Like they really, it's the same shirt. Like they're not, it's not something else. And I really love that about it. And I just, you know, if you if you haven't noticed. I've got a lot of love for British soccer culture in general. And, you know, we have w- Americans getting in on it and understanding it. And I think if Mike and I were going to be in the league, we would do what just happened <laughs> in the lower divisions uh, with, um, with uh, Wrexham. So <laughs> this story just, just popped up. Wrexham is a small, small, small team in, I think, the fifth division of England. So that's Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. So this is barely—is it professional? Almost professional. It's professional. It's the National League, technically. That is right? that is the first rung up of of professional. Yeah. And these teams are probably three thousand fans have history beyond our comprehension. Like, oh, there's been a team in Wrexham since eighteen seventy five. Like, yeah, that's oh. roughly correct. I looked it up today. <laughs> it's uh, oh, eighteen ninety four. Okay. And I believe they have a massive, massive rivalry with a team called Chester. That sounds um, right. Yeah, I mean, that sounds English like, enough. No, but like fair. a blood feud. Like they fight to the death. I, I'm going to look it up right now. I love that. But they, <laughs> so but, so they're, they're one of these teams. And to put it in American sports terms, think of the Green Bay Packers, right? Like they're owned by the town. And that's not unique to England or, or even Europe for that matter. A lot of these smaller clubs are in fact owned um, by the supporters trust which is made up of when all things go bad. Fans. Usually, they don't want to own it. They usually want to pawn it off. Right, exactly. Um, and so, in comes uh, television and movie star Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, so, this is sort of as as Laurent alluded to at the top of the show. Uh, the gang buys a team, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's really, really interesting. They've already put out these hysterical uh, videos talking about the tractor. Uh, the tractor supplier that's the team's main sponsor. It's literally Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds talking about a tractor company for like a minute and a half. Um, But the main thing that they're looking to do with this uh, investment is to create some semblance of a uh, a hard knocks or an all or nothing Amazon type series for a lower division team. Now, obviously this has been done before, but not 
really for the American audience. Like Sunderland. No, no, no was, not for the American audience. Correct. Right? Sunderland was, but it was a, it was sort of a, you know, when they 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 kind of signed that contract, knowing this was going to go poorly, and this is going to be great, just devastating television. What Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney are trying to do is this is a success story, or it's going to try to be one, right? So they're looking at it as Wrexham is in the fifth division. We're going to try and get them as high as we possibly can. I really have to stop for a second because it's yeah. incredible. The ground is called the race course ground. That's correct. 1807. <laughs> Holy shit. For football, 1864. So they've been playing there since fucking Gettysburg. <laughs> <laughs> the race, was it? The race course ground. ground? That is, that's fucking serious. Like, that's since wild. Gettysburg, we've been playing soccer here. Like, you want to talk about ghosts? That's some real ghosts. <laughs> like, yeah. There's like, you know, 150 year old shit stains on a on a chair somewhere so it's fantastic <laughs> and they another piece is they've been as high as the second division so this is not a uh, a nothing club they're they're a real real club it's cool yeah, yeah it's it's exciting to see you know you've you've got uh, all this influx of american money and it all goes into the premier league usually right you know you've got your your stan cronkies your uh uh the glazers even technically Tottenham, Joe Lewis, right? But you've got – nobody is saying by any stretch of the imagination that Ryan Reynolds or Rob McElhinney, even if you put them together, is a billionaire-level, you know, no, kind of they're uh, probably, investor. They're probably, you know, charging – they're probably putting in a half a million dollars. Something like that. They, they expect to put in uh, $2.6 million eventually. Uh, Wex, Wrexham currently projects at a almost $400,000 loss on a $2.7 million in revenue. Obviously, again, these are the clubs that have gotten absolutely decimated by the coronavirus, right? Like so, right? Because um, they live off the gate. They live off the gate. They live off that revenue, the beer sales, the shirt sales, all of that shit. All of a sudden, you're seeing Rob McElhenney and, and Ryan Reynolds tweeting out, "Hey, do you want to buy a football shirt? Here you go. Here's the links." I'm sure that their store crashed today. I guarantee it, right? So, <laughs> it's uh, it's a really, it's a great success story for for that small town. Uh, and uh, two of the most lovable guys in Hollywood. So uh, I'm, I'm certainly a, a fan of Wrexham from, from here on out. So I'm looking forward to following <laughs> so, them. So and, Wrexham and is, in a weird, is a weird spot. So it, people don't know the, the sort of geography of, of England, right? Or of England and Wales. So it's Wales. It's not England. It's right, different. It's Wales. Right? But it's actually super close to Liverpool. So it's northern Wales. Northern huh. Wales, which is like there's a, the Merseys over there, and you kind of just pop out and around, and you're in the Manchester – Liverpool area. So it's that far north because Wales is a very north-south country. So the southern end of Wales is like where most people live in Cardiff and Swansea, but then the northern area is like where it's fucking hard and gnarly. And that kind of that's where the the miners are and wherever there's mines, there's soccer teams. Yeah. It's very Deadpool. <laughs> it's very Deadpool. <laughs> right, very uh, like Deadpool, the, exactly. The shit bar from Deadpool would take oh place God. in this part of the Wales. I just, um, I yeah. just, I just can't believe that the ground is a hundred fucking two hundred years old. That's, That's amazing. It's like, you know, if when and if this stupid Corona cunt virus ends, I am looking forward to one day just doing. I'm sure they're all the same shitty boxes, but just going to the grounds and going to England and just going to shitty games. Like I'll go. I to have any to game. say that's the one thing that I haven't gotten to do yet. I've gone to a few games. I've been to Wembley. I've been to the new Tottenham Stadium. I've been nice. to San Siro. It was amazing. But yeah. the one thing I didn't get to do, and actually I was planning on going this past fall, 
was going back and seeing a game at Reading. Um, yeah. Because we actually, it's a funny story, a friend of mine and I uh, ran into the first team stat their Christmas party when we were there almost a year ago. Uh, <laughs> and John O'Shea from Manchester United, sitting there having a beer with him. It was yeah, awesome. He's probably just a goon. He's one of the first, he's one of the coaches, one of the assistant coaches for Reading. Uh, and so we become friends with their director of player management. And he goes, Oh my God, you guys have to come back. We'll set you up with tickets. We'll get you a shirt. I'm like, Oh my God, absolutely. So from, from that moment on, now I'm kind of cheating on Tottenham a little bit because I've got three teams and that yeah, doesn't but even it, that, count. But, that, that, but that's, but I, I don't think that that matters. I think that that is acceptable, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah. you get like, I had that here, right? I had a shitty team in San Diego that I went to see that I felt, complete connection to afc yeah. san diego i was the only person who gave a shit it was 300 people 300 people on a pack day and a guy asked me oh which one of your kids or cousins is playing i'm like no i just come <laughs> i was the only one like doing like actual soccer fandom and i had yeah. the greatest moment ever when i went to la to see them play at a high school in south central with fucking fireworks blasting the whole time and a and a brazilian uh, ultras t band in the background. It was the yeah, greatest those, soccer event ever. It went to penalties. It was amazing. Were those fireworks or gunshots? It could have been a mix. Could have been a mix. <laughs> could have been a mix. But it was my best soccer moment. It just was. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Just the fucking that kind of random shit. And like multiply that out by a an entire country, and you get why England is so fucking miserable and grumpy. Because it makes it makes total sense. Lose. One day we're gonna take. Uh, we're going to take squeaky bum time on the road and we're going to do shows from Wales and in London and Manchester and all these uh, crazy they're probably, great they're football probably cities. awful places. Like it's they're just like oh we'll find some shit proper shit places. They're probably like Detroit times 5. <laughs> I've been to Detroit. I don't want to do that. See? Yeah, it's Detroit, my friend. Yeah, it's okay. like we'll, if, we'll Detroit, here, if Detroit got frozen in 1890 instead of 1950. <laughs> London's nice. We can go to London. Fuck Manchester. We'll figure <laughs> yeah. it out. There's, there's only 30 teams in London. Yeah, right. Um, oh, so Wrexham yeah. attendance. Uh, about 4,000 people a game. Yeah, pretty good. That's the pretty thing good. is that, like, you, the chance – everything about – everybody in England, you know, complains about modern football, right, and things sort of being watered down a little bit. Or if for you go money. To these stadiums, yeah. Right, for money. If you go to these stadiums, these small little boxes, it's not – Oh, it's yeah. real. <laughs> yeah, it's real, real. It's every, it's every minute of, you know, 50 years ago at every stadium. It, that's yeah. where the lifeblood of English football still lives. So, like I yeah, said, that's I, the one thing I haven't gotten to do and I'm dying to when I go back. Yeah, I think, I think the bigger issue is, is that people who are – I think people who are Manchester United fans, that's a really good example. But they, it used to feel that way to them, right? That's the issue that yeah. they're looking for. They want the old feel – of the back in the day, but for their big club, that's their team. The problem is, is like, nostalgia's a bitch. Uh, it was violent, it was petrifying, it had piss everywhere, and if you went to an away game, you were very likely to get the shit kicked out of you. That's not good. Right, it needed <laughs> some fine tuning, right? Right, or the stadium would burn down while you were in it. <laughs> also another problem. <laughs> Oftentimes. That might be an issue. Yeah, it's it's. I've always joked like um, the reason you'll find Tottenham Arsenal, or even when when uh, West Ham was playing Tottenham, 
it was the early game, right? When City plays United, it's going to be the early game of the day. Why? Literally because they don't want to let the fans get enough time to get liquored up enough to get into the fucking stands. And I've always found that. I'm like, well, why don't you guys just have fucking rules? Like, I don't get it. Like, no, 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 we do. I'm like, no, you don't. If you need to legislate the the times of the games so that the spectators don't throw up on each other and burn, burn each other to the ground simultaneously, you don't have enough rules. I'm sorry. Well, they really have sad lives. <laughs> you know, just, you know, it's like take, take Philly fans and multiply them by a country. Oh, oh, Philly fans, you guys think you're tough shit. Yeah. Go to London. And go sit in the away section at a derby, and tell me you didn't pee a little bit. No, we're not. We don't. We don't. We 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 have no sense of. It's Eagles Cowboys in the snow. <laughs> no, we have no sense. Times ten. We have no. I think you know what. To be fair, I think Americans. We did get close. You know, Yankees Red Sox. Yeah. Got a little sticky, a little bit. Yeah, like, I, I I think. But not yeah. not like that. No. no. Like, not, the, well, here's not how you, or, not you know organized like fights on 150. Exactly. Street. Here's how you know it's not <laughs> right. Which would have Yankees, been amazing. <laughs> there's no Red Sox section. There should right? be. It would be fucking amazing. Oh my god, what <laughs> a world so that would good. be. Why don't they do that? American sports are stupid. They should absolutely do that. Because there's no, they would never get anybody to travel. But for the times that they did, right? It would no, only be worth it. No, because half of New York thinks they're Red Sox fans anyway. There'd be enough Sox fans. Uh, in that's New York. only after 2004. What I'm saying is historically, right? Like in the 70s, I'm not even talking about the 90s, right? In the early 2000s, probably the 70s, the Carlton Fisk, Thurman Munson. Oh, days, that would have right? been nasty. Yeah, my father was at a lot of them. They were, okay? Yeah, I worked <laughs> at Yankee Stadium in the 80s and people used to fight a lot. Yeah, yeah. A lot, but between each other. Right. Well, that and then, well, but then that's the other problem that you have is that yeah, yeah, in yeah. Um, in American sports, fans just want to fight somebody, right? It doesn't matter right. who you're rooting yeah, for. Yeah, they don't have. They have. We didn't have. We're not. That's the difference. Enough. It's it's generally it is. <laughs> I made this reference uh, when we were talking about the West Ham Tottenham game and reviewing it. It's like the Alamo, right? You are surrounded by forty thousand fans, and there's I don't know. 3,500, 4,000 of you packed in like sardines to one section, surrounded by all sides by the enemy, screaming at you? Well, yeah. well the other question is, why would they let that happen? Like, who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> like, where did that culture come from? Like, the craziest what? thing to me about that is that it, it like, when, I, when we were at the Sincero, the only away game I've ever done, right? And like, first of all, you get, you get searched on the way into the stadium like you're a terrorist. And I was because like, Because you are a terrorist. Well, in some cases, yes. But it, I was like, this is kind of wild. And <laughs> the craziest thing is you have to stay until the entire stadium has been emptied out. For your safety. For your safety. Yeah. And then you, and then all, they, and then you walk herd, out together as a yes, herd. Yes. As a herd, you have to go to the train station and get the fuck out of there and don't wear any colors or you're going to get stabbed on the subway. <laughs> we lost that night, so it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, but it was an won, awesome loss. <laughs> It was an awesome loss. But had we won, I may not be around to tell this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just it's a culture that I just we just never understand it. We'll never get it. I think it's I think it's part of my love of soccer is just 
the want to feel that kind of belonging and feeling of just like, my God, this is so good. And any, every time I go to a city bar, I'm always embarrassed by city fans. I'm like, American city fans are lame. Where we're like, well, we're so middle-class and boring. We suck. Um, well, it's not even so much that it's that, and I thought this about some of the Spanish teams and, and like the, the Bundesliga teams too, right? or the Bundesliga team, Bayern Munich. Are you just kind of placated by winning at this point? Are you just like, eh, we won again? Like, is it, I know you're no, different. I know you no. feel, but like. I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I, I think you, you, it, the one thing that's so funny about football coverage is it's really like, what are you doing now? Right? Like think about Zidane. If he loses another three games, they'll fire him. The man won three Champions Leagues in a row, won their first league title in 10 years. Like, they'll fire him. It's Mm -hmm. really, like, the standards are high. You can't fuck around. Like, you – like, they run out of coaches for those. Yeah, but but think about it in a different context, right? So, Madridistas, Real Madrid fans, who are objectively the worst fans in the world, think of it like this. They are pretty bad. Their expectation is so sky high. Yeah that anything less than what they expect is a complete and utter failure. Imagine like like the Yankees expect to win the World Series every year. They say that shit, right? But it's a salary cap league and that's not going to happen, right? So they get close, everybody gets excited, whatever. If Real Madrid don't win either the Champions League or the, the La Liga... Oh, it's a disaster. It's a total fucking disaster and everybody's getting their heads cut off. So that's kind of the point where if you win, it's not. it doesn't feel so much as winning as it does a relief. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. The difference is, is it's a no salary cap, no structured league. Like sure, if no, the Yanke- if the Yankees had no, there was no revenue sharing. If there was no caps on anything, and the Yankees didn't win every year, you would be upset. You'd be like, we just we're spending a half a billion dollars on salary. Why aren't we winning? Yeah, no, and, and that's that's true. And if you look at it. In the last 20 years, if, they, if the Yankees had been on cap, they have at least 10 more World Series, right? At least. So yeah, but fine. the Dodgers but, have been basically on cap, and they only just won it. Sure, but but the larger point is, but I I wonder if the amount of success and and begets the expectation of great success that if you don't get that, you, you you're not you're just you're no longer chasing a feeling that exists anymore because you've no. done it so many times. No, it has to be done the right way. Sure, right? but like, that's what I mean that about point, City, like, right? Like, like, they didn't like Mourinho. Mourinho got a 105-point season. They're like, nope, didn't right. like it. Not right. the way we should play. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So that's kind of how I view City fans in the U.S. City fans in I, – I, I don't have enough uh, – There aren't any. Of, we're, very, we're a very, very – Yeah, small. that's true. That's true. <laughs> but there are a lot of City fans in the U.S. because it, realistically, you know, the sport got big just as they were taking off. And yeah. obviously, I mean, I, listen, I've said this when Jesse was on the show. Every American has a stupid fucking reason for why they support the club that they support. 99% yes. of us. Yes. And so I don't care if you're a front runner. I don't care if you are, you like him because your yeah, favorite we, player was on the team. Yeah, it doesn't we, matter. we have no good reasons. No, none whatsoever. Yeah. Other than one of, somebody in my family is English and they said I have to do this. That's the only good reason. <laughs> right. Exactly. The only one. And I very, very, very rarely come across that. But so, so that's kind of the thing about when you think about City fans. Like I remember going to – I have – actually, for the Champions League final, I flew to New York City to go to the Tottenham bar, which oh, sold good. out. They sold out three full bars. And nice. I walked out of there completely covered in beer. Actually, and I had done that a, a handful of times. 
we lost that day. So actually, I was relatively dry. But actually, the the first game against City where Aguero uh, missed the penalty That's and the one. sunny goal, uh, I was drenched, drenched in alcohol. It was phenomenal, dude. The the Mora game is the best. I was at oh a yeah, Tottenham. I was at yeah. a I was at a, a Tottenham bar for that. It was incredible. Oh, God. I kissed it's more men just, than yeah. I should admit. <laughs> it happens it's weird we can't we can't go into the mora game we can't go into more tottenham city because we're going to go through it all on thursday we're going to do a big show tottenham city leicester no. liverpool and nothing the fuck else i have for to about I, I still have to talk about the avp uh 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 high line no press game <laughs> yeah right so yeah what no that was one of my doing? first games so we're going to go through all of it um but I'm excited for it. We may even have a guest. We're going to figure it all out. Who knows? Oh, right on. Um, yeah. So Tottenham, Manchester City on Thursday, prepping you for Saturday, 1230 Eastern. Get excited. We're excited. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> the devil went down to Merseyside. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we will see you then, folks. That was the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Mike Salerno and Laurent Cortines. This was a crap football, crap pundit production. We will return on Mondays and Thursdays for the Premier League season. We will talk about soccer and other things that interest us. Mike is crazy. Laurent is insane. That's why it works. <laughs>